I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Future of Media Explained, Press Gazette's weekly podcast, which aims to give media industry leaders the information they need for quality content to thrive in the digital age. This week, we're taking a look at philanthropy. So, to help us understand how philanthropy can help fund quality content in the digital age, I have with us this week Press Gazette's data journalist, Aisha Majid. Welcome, Aisha. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Brilliant. <clears throat> Philanthropy. It's as old as the hills, isn't it? And it's something that's funded journalism for many years, is not it? And I'm thinking Rupert Murdoch and other billionaires who sometimes kept loss-making publications going, whether you call that philanthropy or whether you call that something else. But we're not really talking about that, are we talking about... Tell, tell us what we mean when we talk about philanthropy funding journalism. Well... As you've mentioned, I mean, there's no one kind of philanthropy and there's many sort of different kinds of ways that philanthropy can support journalism. And that can be through foundations or trusts or wealthy individuals. I mean, the kind of philanthropy we're going to be talking about today, it's a way of supporting newsrooms by by recognising that what they do is is worthy and using charitable support to, to support them in what they do, pretty much giving to any other cause and Although philanthropy donors, they can support any kind of newsroom. And in reality, it's something that it fits better with newsrooms that are maybe covering things like local news or public interest news, that kind of stuff. There's nothing to stop a celebrity news site, for example, going down the philanthropic route. But in reality, it's probably not going to work out so well. And a lot of the, the newsrooms that I've been researching and looking into in, in, in terms of how they get philanthropic support, and so a lot of them are non-for-profit. But that's not always that's not always the case. And for example, you've got commercial operations such as the Guardian and the Telegraph, and they get money from people such as the Gates Foundation and others to run to fund parts of their reporting. So it's not always non-for-profit newsrooms so, that use philanthropy. So there's certain publishers, like you mentioned, the Guardian and the Telegraph, where philanthropy would be one revenue line. Where, and I think for the Guardian, it's quite an important one, isn't it, in terms of getting donations to help fund certain things they do. But then for other publishers, 
they're almost entirely funded by philanthropy, aren't they? Yes, there are big newsrooms that use philanthropy as one revenue stream among many, such as The Guardian. But for them, it tends to be quite a small part of their overall revenue mix. But you do have smaller newsrooms that are almost entirely funded through philanthropy. Later on, we're going to be talking to Open Democracy, which is one of them. And It tends to be newsrooms that are reporting on local issues or public interest news. And they do tend to be smaller newsrooms that are run through philanthropy altogether. It's definitely something that I'd say that in the US, it's probably something that's more established. There's definitely a a bigger culture of philanthropic giving overall and bigger culture of philanthropic giving towards news. In the UK, I think you don't have You certainly don't have as many newsrooms, big or small, that are supported entirely through philanthropy. They're there. You have Open Democracy is one. The Bureau for Investigative Journalism, quite a lot of their funding comes through philanthropy as well. But there's definitely a a difference in culture between the UK and the US there. And also there's a difference in the legal situation as well, which I think is important to point out. In the UK, journalism's not recognised as a charitable endeavour in and of itself, which makes giving to, to newsrooms quite tricky in the UK. It's not impossible, but it's much trickier for funders. Yeah, I remember the Bureau of Investigative Journalism complained about that, didn't they? I remember they, when they started, they tried to get charitable status, but they couldn't do it. But l- listen, Aisha, tell us about the data, because I know you've been digging into the data on this. So what do we know in terms of the sort of money that's going into journalism from philanthropy. In, in terms of how much is going in worldwide, there's, there's no one source that's captured everything, but there's in the US, for example, there's an organisation called Media Impact Funders, and they track philanthropic support to journalism. And 2020, which was the last year for which they've got, you know, pretty complete data, that was 620 million worldwide. And going from donors to journalism, that excludes journalism, education, universities and training and that kind of thing. So $620 million. And most of that is best going to the US. But in terms of the UK, it's quite hard to put together a picture. We've been doing that at Press Gazette. And I've looked at data from different sources, Charity Commission, 360 Giving, various various donors and recipients. And the figure that I've come up with is £65 million. That's since 2019. And I think that's definitely a conservative estimate. We don't have the data from everyone, but I think that's a conservative estimate. But it's smaller than the US, certainly much smaller, but it's, it's significant, I would say. Yeah, just delving into my brain, I think £60 million is probably more than... Google pays to publishers and it's Google News showcase payments. Maybe it's probably about the same as Google News and Facebook News combined in the UK. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guesstimate. So it's small, but ish, but it is quite significant. Tell us about Open Democracy. I'm obviously aware of them. They're a big site. They've had some big hits. I wasn't to be, I wasn't actually aware that they were philanthropically funded. So just Can you tell us a bit about the background? Open Democracy, they were set up just over two decades ago. So they were set up using a philanthropic model. And to this day, most of their revenue comes from philanthropy. And and a lot of that, I think about the top of my head, like 80% of that is through grants. They get money from big foundations such as um, the Rockefeller Foundation in the US. They get money from the David and Elaine Potter Foundation in the UK. So about four-fifths of what they get is through sort of philanthropic grants. But as you'll hear later on from Peter Gagan, their um, CEO and their editor-in-chief, they're also looking to explore other revenue streams, particularly reader revenue, because I think 
The thing with philanthropy, just like any other revenue stream for a business, and obviously you don't want to put your eggs in one basket. And with philanthropy, um, it is, I think it's an important stream and a growing stream, but obviously you're, you're subject to the whims of donors and their priorities and those can change. And right now there seems to be a growing appetite to, to fund journalism, but obviously we can't say how that's going to look in the future. So I think a lot of news organisations that are turning to philanthropy are also at the same time, like Open Democracy, looking into diversifying and going into other revenue streams as well. Great. Well, look, let's hear a bit more um, from the interviews. I spoke to Peter from Open Democracy and I asked him about how Open Democracy was set up, why they set up and why they decided to launch a newsroom that was funded through philanthropy. Open Democracy is quite a long running institution and, and I have not been I have not been involved for its full length of time of any stretch of imagination. It was actually founded back in 2001 and in some respects, OD, I think, was the initial iteration was right about where journalism was going, but right very early. And the idea was effectively, well, actually, why do we need newspapers anymore in 2001? In 2001, I think back to it, websites were just kind of appendages for newspaper brands. Some newspapers didn't have any website at all. Most of them published most of their content only in print with kind of selective digital offerings. And the idea behind Open Democracy was that it would, in some respects, almost be a newspaper on the internet. It's the idea that you would have comment, analysis, debate, opinion, reportage, etc., all in one space online. That was a kind of the initial model of it. And I think, but quite quickly, like anybody who tries to do things online, the kind of, the founders of Open Democracy discovered that the business model of the internet, the business model of how to uh, keep your journalism outfit going uh, online only kind of created a huge need for trying to figure out about how we're going to bring revenue in the door. And at that stage, if you remember, look back more than 20 years ago, subscriptions online were not part of the online world at all. And certainly not in the way they are now. People were not used to spending money and paying for money for journalism content. Quite quickly, um, it alighted on philanthropic funding as probably the main source for an outlet that wanted to do quality work, that wants to be able to have an editorial team to provide a product that people wanted the only way to pay for it if you didn't have advertisement uh, at that stage was, was true philanthropy and until really a couple of years ago philanthropy and philanthropic grants was the sole pretty much space in which open democracy was able to get funding it was it's well the lifeblood of open democracy was philanthropic funding I joined the OD about four and a half years ago. And at that stage, I'd say about 99% of our income kind of came from philanthropic funding or funding within that world, 95 to 99%. In recent years, we have actually been able to expand our reader engagement, the amount of money we're able to raise from our readers, our reader revenues. We took in over half a million pounds from our readers last year, which is to give you some idea of that kind of growth. It was about 10,000 pounds three or four years ago. So it's been a big growth, but that currently represents about 20% of our income. So about 80% of our income is philanthropic funding and is still from philanthropy with readers and the funding we get from readers is a growing part of our revenue mix. It's going down the charity route. Is it an option open to any newsroom or do you think it's something better suited to one like Open Democracy that's so clearly focused on reporting issues such as corruption, investigations, human rights, public interest type stuff? It's a very good question. In some ways, we also have a challenge in that, unlike in the United States, where journalism is effectively a charitable good, 
and journalistic outlets can take charitable status. In the UK, journalism isn't a charitable good, so which is it's kind of problematic. It doesn't mean you can't receive charitable donations, but it requires a lot more work and some of our donations do charitable causes and they're all listed on our website, for example. But what that means is it's a little bit trickier because some funders will only make donations to charity. So journalism isn't helped by the kind of legal footing within which it's placed in the UK, particularly vis-a-vis America, because we don't have the ability to be charities, which is beyond a challenge for organizations like ours and others. I think stepping, putting Glenn back a bit further, I think it's been interesting in the last few years to see the number of large mainstream journalism outlets who've gone down the philanthropic funding route. You know, probably the most obvious is The Guardian, which has taken in uh, I don't have the figures in front of me, but I know it's significant numbers of millions of uh, funding from a very large philanthropic organizations, the likes of the Gate Foundation, the Rockefeller, Rockefeller Brothers and others. So large philanthropic funding. And we've also seen it with other organizations, but if you look at the Google News Initiative funding, which a lot of media outlets uh, have received Google uh, Digital News Initiative funding. I set up the Ferris in Scotland many years ago. We received uh, Google DNI money as well. Uh, OD hasn't, but a lot of big outlets have. So I can see why uh, they're looking to diversify their revenue into it. I think it would be very challenging for large mainstream organizations to be able to become fully philanthropically funded. I doubt any of them are. I think the likes of the Guardian where you've got bespoke project, bespoke verticals within which philanthropic funding is making up a large section of what you're doing. I could see that working for some outlets. And the challenge is if you're trying to produce sport content, you're doing your celebrity news, et cetera. Unsurprisingly, there's not much of a philanthropic funding market for those types of journalism. And open democracy, as you say, we, we are very much about public interest journalism, about key issues that we think really matter, the crisis, democracy, the crisis, the climate, you know, the backlash against LGBTQI rights, etc. These are all big totemic issues for an organization like open democracy. Unsurprisingly, there are also issues for some funders as well. So there's a crossover there. I think the challenge for large organizations is figuring out where those crossover points are. Well, it's interesting that you raise that contrast between the UK and the US in terms of how easy or difficult it is to get funding for journalism. Have you seen, for as long as you've been following it, have you seen philanthropic support for news evolve? And have there been some steps in the right direction? Is it easier or harder to raise money for your reporting now? I think there's been some. I think the US and the UK, there's two big differences. One is the legal footing, as I mentioned, about charities, etc. But in some ways, the biggest difference is a cultural difference. There's a culture of philanthropic giving in the United States that really, we really don't have here. We, ha- we are very lucky to get receive some uh, funding from individuals who give us money. Very grateful for it from people who might give it through their own small personal foundations and things like that. But on the scale of the United States, it's very different in the UK. We don't have the same kind of culture of giving. And we don't have the same culture of giving around journalism. I think there isn't the same kind of collective understanding and acceptance of journalism as a public good. It's not saying individuals and some individuals and some organizations don't have that. But as a kind of societal level, I think we don't have quite the same sense of journalism as the watchdog of democracy, which I think does kind of run through a lot of kind of US philanthropic giving. We've definitely seen some, I think, in the time I've been at Open Democracy, probably there's been some change around the philanthropic funding aspect. I think probably more and more large philanthropic organizations do understand that news matters, that information really matters. I think we probably saw a real change after both the Brexit referendum and the election of Donald Trump in 2016. A lot of concern about quote-unquote fake news, a lot of the concern about missing disinformation. Quite a lot of funders, I think, did get involved around then. Some of those funders have received it too, which I think also speaks to the challenges of philanthropic funding as well, and that these issues can become very big for large philanthropic organizations for a period of time. 
the, the news we consume, the information ecosystem, these can become big issues, but also the world moves on. And sometimes the kind of the lifespan of philanthropic organizations' interests in these issues can also be time limited. And that can have its challenges, really, because as a, as a news organization, this is the business that we're in. But it's not always the case that, like, for all philanthropists, they can see news as something that they want to be continually kind of contributing to it. You received almost three million pounds in income last year, most of that from grants. How much effort has to go into ensuring that revenue comes in every year to sustain the newsroom? Do you find yourself having to go to new new donors every year and spending a lot of time with that or is it quite straightforward? I'd love to be able to say I should have very straightforward and all I do is turn up and it all happens. Unfortunately, that's not the case. No, it is quite a constant. As anyone who's in the kind of not-for-profit journalism sector, especially in the UK, would tell you, it's a constant battle, really. You're constantly trying to find funders. You're constantly having to figure out what to do when one funder leaves, when funding priorities change. That's a constant uh, issue in this line of work, for sure, is when you're constantly looking to see What's the work that you want to do and where does it fit within people's like priorities? I think we're quite lucky in that the issues that we care about are the big totemic issues around around where we are in democratic societies right now. So it does key in with a lot of the kind of things that funders care about. And in some ways as well, we have this, it's a constant thing where one funder might decide they're actually not going to fund journalism anymore or they're funding something totally different. But in the same way that happens in news organizations, and at least we have a quite a large number of different funders giving very different types of funding and varied amounts of funding. Whereas as I've experienced working in, in newspapers and other parts of the industry, it can happen that the, the top of the newspaper, it, at times in, in newspapers I've worked in, the organizations owned overseas, and decisions can just be made quite rapidly to cut large swathes of content and you're just earning large swathes of jobs and you're just having to react to it. So in some ways, it's not easy, but there is a, a kind of at least flexibility to it. And you can kind of start to see where the pinch points might be in terms of making sure that you're bringing enough revenue to do what you want to do. But really, most importantly, getting the kind of the work that you want to find supported being done, I think. And I think it's really important if you're in this space to kind of think about what it is that you want to do, where you think the stories that need to be told are, rather than just being led by, say, where, where, philanthropy, where philanthropy is right now. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A Year Inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical, and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In, in terms of that, other downsides from a from an editorial point of view, or from relying on on donor funding, I mean, does it tend to be tied to reporting on specific projects that a, that a foundation might be interested in? Is that something that you come up against? Do you are you lucky enough to have funding that's unrestricted and allows you to cover what you determine important from an editorial point of view? Yeah, this idea of unrestricted funding is huge. It's a double woolly grail in the philanthropic world and in philanthropic supported journalism no different. Having budgets and funding that you can use to do different topics and to turn your attention to stories that really matter for you at a given moment. Quite a lot of our funding is project funded and that does it's I think there's not it's less a concern about editorial independence. I think we've always found there's that's never been a huge issue for us. It's more about, as you say, like being able to react to where you think where the news agenda is, where the stories you want to tell are. And frankly, it's one of the reasons why our growing reader donations are so important to us. The fact that people who read open democracy, consume our content, you know, ordinary people up and down the land actually give us money is really important to us. I think both because I think it shows that what we do matters. I think there's no sure kind of validation of someone's work and the fact that someone's willing to pay for it. But also it's unrestricted funding and allows us to then make sure that we have enough flex and enough room in our budgets and our, where we're, how we're kind of organizing ourselves to be able to run up the stories we need, we think really matter because 
I think as journalists, it's really important that you are unencumbered to be able to tell the stories that really matter to what you're doing. You know, and what what we've tried to do is bring funding in for specific beats that we think are underreported. So, for example, we have a large global feminist investigative project called Tracking the Backlash, which is probably our biggest single project. It's got a number of different funders, a lot of big US funders. And that's a team of feminist investigative journalists around the world. We have a hub in Uruguay, one in Kampala, in Uganda, another in Armenia. And that's all focused on what is very kind of unfortunately prescient journalism right now, which is the backlash against things like abortion rights and from a global perspective and tracking the money around things like that. Where does the money flow go around that? That's the kind of work that you'd really struggle in a for-profit journalism outfit to have three regional offices dedicated to it, have a team of journalists dedicated to it, producing exclusive stories on it. But because of the nature of our funding, we're able to identify that gap, identify that need, then thankfully bring funders in to be able to support it. Have you ever found yourself in the position where you might have had to think twice about covering a certain story because it might reflect badly on on someone who funds you or could be a potential funder or has that not happened? No, to be honest, it hasn't actually. And I think we probably definitely, you know, we've definitely mentioned some of our funders at times in, in not positive stories. So no, I don't think it really is. I think, and I remember, for example, when I was at the fair of me for the first time we got money from Google's digital news initiative. And people ask fair questions, so would you do investigations into Google now? And like kind of unfortunately my answer is like I probably would if I had investigations to do, but we hadn't done any to that date. But around about four or five years at that stage we'd never done any investigations into Google. Like it wasn't that we wouldn't start, but it we're not a tech we weren't a tech investigation site. And in many respects neither was OD. So that was kind of negated. My journalists always think better audience. I think that's why I, I talk about having this kind of dual model where we do get funding our funders. And and Partly, I think the benefit of that is well, it means that you're always thinking about your readers as well as maybe like for when it comes to thinking about funders, it's less about going this week, what do we, what are we going to do to make funders happy? It's making sure over the course of the lifespan of our grant, whether it's 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, that the stories you say you're going to do are doing that. And also, I think at a kind of strategic level, it's making sure that you're taking funding for work that you want to do. And in our world, really, it's, it's rarely someone coming to us and saying, we've got money, will you do X, Y, and Z? And it's more about us saying, look, we've got this project. We've got this work that we think needs to be done. Who do we get to back it? Who are the people, who are the stakeholders, who are the philanthropic donors who might be interested in this? You mentioned your readers and looking into developing the reader funding more. I mean, how is that going so far? And has that been, is that more challenging than going to to big foundations and getting grants? I think the reality both for for-profit media, but also for not-for-profit media, is you need to have a mixed ecosystem. You need a mixed model to be sustainable in the 21st century as a media outfit. If you are heavily reliant on one or two sources of income, whether that's, whether that is in the philanthropic case, one or two big donors, or whether it's if you are purely reliant on advertising, that's not a good place to be. I think it's really important to have a mixed model. And as I say, part of the reason we have really looked to build in our readers and engage them is, is, is for that reason, but also... I think it's so important that if you're a newsroom like ours, that you are able to respond to your readers. We don't have the same response mechanism that in some ways it doesn't exist anymore anyway, where like the newspaper sales might act as a response mechanism to go, oh, do people like this or do they not? But for us, it's really important because we often engage our readers in lots of things around our journalists. We're very kind of into engaged journalism to bring our readers on a journey with us. 
And I think we've seen that our readers want to do that. And is that something that you find that your donors are also supportive of? Are they sort of actively encouraging you to use their money to open up revenue streams and more reader funding and that kind of thing? Or is that something that you really have to do on your own back? In general, I think almost all of our funders are very interested in that side of things because it is that proof of concept. It's showing people that people care about the work that you do. And if you're a philanthropic funder, I think that's a huge thing. People want to know that the work they're supporting, that people care about it. And for some, it's something that they're particularly keen. A lot of funders, unsurprisingly, would like to see the organizations they support becoming sustainable. They'd like to help them get there. And if if you're a funder, and this is what's happened to us at Open Democracy, you can get into a really virtuous circle where you're funding an organization to help it become sustainable. And in that process, they're increasing their sustainable revenues and making themselves more sustainable. We had help from some funders a few years ago to help us do that. That was really transformative. In some ways, it's very hard to find that kind of funding. It's fine. It's hard to find funders who are going to support media organizations to help them diversify their own income streams. But it's really, really important. And do you have any advice for other newsrooms, you know, big or small, sort of looking to tap into, into grant funding for their operations? I think the big thing that we see, and I think one of the big challenges in general with the whole space is that unlike in America, journalism itself, as a, as a public good, is, we don't see it in the same way in the UK, frankly. And I think funders don't either. And when I first started being in this world, working with being involved with the Ferris, we started looking, say, for grant funding. I think we often felt, and even for reader funding, we often felt that the pitch is journalism matters, so give us money to do journalism. That's not that compelling a pitch, to be honest, as I discovered from and talking to lots of people. As a journalist, I think as fellow journalists, we think this is a really compelling pitch. We think, look, what we do matters. Mm-hmm. Like, really, you should support it. We really believe in it. And that's why we do it. And I still believe massively. But unfortunately, I think for a lot of the public, and including the public, including that in it, within that are philanthropic funders, for them, that's less the compelling reason to support journalism. It's less the end in itself. I think thinking about what is it that people want, what is it that whether it's your audience as a newspaper, whether it's your audience as a not-for-profit newsroom, or your if you're by that if your readers, or if your audience is philanthropic donors, what is it that that they want, and where is the point at which you can connect with each other? Like, what are the things that they want to see in the world happen? Is there work that you think is really important that's not being done enough? Is there is there journalism that you think could contribute to changing the world. I think that they're the kind of places where funders are. And I think throughout our journey with Open Democracy, I think that's been the place where we've had the most success for our values. And think about your own values, where our values align with philanthropic donors' values. And then we can do work together. Okay, thanks for that, Aisha. Great interview. Very interesting to hear from Peter and learn more about Open Democracy. Yes. Philanthropy is something which any sort of big newsroom should probably think about, really, as a revenue stream. It's maybe at Press Gazette we should get some uh, some billion-dollar foundation to give us a bunch of cash. I could move to a bigger shed. That would be great. But what do you what do you think the outlook is for philanthropy and journalism in the UK? Do you think it's a growing thing? Is it And is it something more news publishers should perhaps think about tapping into? I think, yeah, philanthropy is definitely growing. I think growing much more slowly in, in the UK than the US. Obviously, there are hurdles in the UK for newsrooms to attract philanthropic money for journalism since we don't have the same recognition of journalism in, in the UK as something, as a charitable good. But I think definitely, I think there, there is a growing recognition that the funding model for journalism is in crisis. There's a recognition that this needs to be supported. So I think 
there are there are definitely more funders coming on board with this view as well. And I think that people who are concerned with this space are also worried about trust in news is also declining. And we saw that in the Reuters report, even among big newsrooms who are looking like The Guardian, for instance, and other sort of large commercial operations, they see their ad revenue declining each year. And they're probably also thinking, you know, what else can we do to fund at least bits of our reporting that might tie into what donors are interested in? I think big newsrooms are also getting creative and reaching out to funders and seeing what other pots of money they can tap into as well. Thanks, Aisha. I guess it's interesting, isn't it? In the US, there's more of it about, and I guess they they do tend to have a slightly more high-minded view of journalism in the US than perhaps in the UK, where we have had more trust issues and so on. So maybe if we can improve the reputation of the business a bit more, people see it more as a public good, then maybe more of those philanthropic donors will think that a sort of opera company or a orchestra or a, or a theatre, maybe a newsroom is just as important a public good. We'd agree it is, wouldn't we? Definitely. <laughs> it's the most important thing because it holds all of the others to account. Brilliant. Look, thanks, Aisha. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Dominic Ponsford, Press Gazette data journalist, Aisha Majid, expertly produced by Adrian Bradley. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a nice review. And you can also find out more about philanthropy and other ways to make journalism pay in the digital age on pressgazette.co.uk. Music.